Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer, and today we have proper insurance. Specifically, we've got Nick Massey, who is the director of sales over there, and you guys would have already heard from proper if you were at Level Up Your Listing Summit a couple weeks ago. We had Justin doing a speaking session, and you guys got to interact with their booth, but I think that there was a lot more to be had from the conversation, and if you weren't at the summit, I don't want you to miss out on the great education that they have to provide. So, Nick, thank you for being here, and please give us all the all the juicy scoop today on short-term rental insurance and why we need proper in our lives. Be my pleasure. Thanks for having us, Natalie. Bummed I missed Level Up, but I will do what I can to be in attendance next year. It sounded like it it was well-received and, and just a great conference for everybody. So I'm excited to attend we, next year. We cannot wait to have you guys back. Yes, you better be there. We'll make room for you. Perfect. Perfect. So as Natalie introduced, my name is Nick Massey. I'm I'm technically the director of sales with Proper Insurance. My, my kind of primary role is maintaining relationships and, and dealing with the education side of the company as well as our sales staff to make sure that education is being, you know, relayed correctly to anybody who comes into our organization to get a consultation, who wants comparisons on their current insurance, you know, dealing with the wild what-if scenarios that go on in the industry. So that's really what I do. Uh, My background is from a specialty insurance standpoint. That's where I started my insurance career uh, a little over a decade ago. I've been with Proper Insurance now going on eight years. So specifically, short-term rentals have been my primary focus uh, throughout the majority of my career. And, And, you know, every day is we learn something new. Um, every day there's a different claim that comes across our desk that's, okay, how do we handle this situation? And so that high level and deep knowledge into the insurance contract language is what we're here to do for you. We don't expect you to understand and be able to read 100 pages of insurance language and understand every word. So we want to be that resource for everyone in the audience to reach out to us with, with those questions and, and those concerns so we can help you walk through it. One of the craziest things that I learned is I I know a lot of people, myself included, when I started hosting, I thought, okay, I'm going to save money. Short-term rental insurance is more expensive than my regular home insurance policy. You know, I know I don't get as many protections, but it's fine. I'm going to take the risk and just continue with my regular home insurance policy. And what I actually did not know is that you're standard home insurance will void the policy if they find out that you are doing short-term rental. And so I have learned that if you are going to go that route and skip out on STR insurance, you are actually better off just canceling your policy altogether with your regular home insurance because they're taking your money and that contract is void anyway. And so can you tell us some of the things that you guys do 
in addition to a typical home insurance policy and why it's better to go with you. Um, and just, yeah, let people know that if you do, if you are skipping out right now and just have a regular home insurance policy, you may as well go cancel it because they are not protecting you if they find out you are doing short-term rentals. Yeah. There's the, the misconception out there around insurance with vacation rentals is, is it's wild to be honest. And, um, you know, we'll t- we we work with third-party insurance agents, and it's just not their forte. It's not what they specialize in. And then on top of that, the, the entire insurance market is based on it's a race to the bottom in premium. And what most consumers don't realize is as you make insurance policies cheaper, you are sacrificing more and more coverage to drive that premium down. So when it comes to protecting our vacation rental business, and whether you find it to be a business or you find it to be a hobby, it's it's a business. Whether you're just trying to break even on the property or you're trying to build a portfolio um, to to amass generational wealth for for you and your family, you need to. It is a business, and the insurance world considers that a business as well. Uh, the insurance contracts and homeowners policies have a business activity exclusion, and they define in there specifically that profit motive does not matter. It comes down to, are you generating revenue or not? And a short-term rental is a revenue generator through active marketing. So whether you find it as a hobby, you're trying to break even, or you're trying to build generational wealth through this this investment module, it's a business in the insurance world. And that's the key exclusion number one in regular homeowners and landlord insurance policies that are going to potentially void your contract entirely if you suffer a loss at your home, the adjuster could come in and go, oh, it was a short-term rental guest who was at the property when this happened. There's no coverage. So now the additional premium to get the right coverage, I mean, that's a drop in the bucket compared to paying for everything out of your own pocket. Yeah. So that's so interesting you said that. So motive does not matter to them. So even if you are the person who goes to Europe for a month every year and you put your home on Airbnb for that one month, you are still opening yourself up. It doesn't matter if you're not generating a huge profit or anything or treating this like you're a real estate investor, like the moment you let those STR guests in, you are running a business. Yeah, it comes down to the moment you actually actively advertise online with a calendar. That is when the business activity and technicality really begins, right? So if we're trying to think about this from someone who has a portfolio of long-term and short-term, why aren't my long-term rentals considered a business? And why can I insure that on a very inexpensive landlord insurance policy? And it comes down to the use as residents, right? So in, a, in the landlord market, it's still considered non-business because the property is still being used as a residence. You're technically not really furnishing it. In a lot of cases, you the, the long-term renter is furnishing it. You put an advertisement on Craigslist or with a local real estate agency for 30 days, and then somebody rents it for a 12-month term, and you're no longer actively listing. So it truly doesn't fall into that business category, okay. right? Okay. Uh, and so that's where those differences come in. Now, some of the maybe some of the more educated listeners out there around the insurance component might go, "Well, I have an endorsement, or it says short-term rental." Okay, so we've We've gone the extra step and we've now paid a little bit more money for this endorsement, but all that endorsement is doing in the retail insurance market is saying the business activity exclusion doesn't apply to the use as a short-term rental. Now, that's great, right? We've, we've now eliminated us having a claim denial for something like a tree falling on our house, right? It's still going to respond to that claim or, uh, you know, recently we had the frozen water pipes all over the country uh, with the winter storms and 
okay, so they're going to respond to that claim at your property because you have the endorsement. But what coverage is the endorsement actually adding? And 99% of the time, the answer is nothing. All it is doing is redefining that business activity exclusion so that your standard losses are responded to. There's so many other things to dive into. Do you have replacement cost coverage or is it actual cash value with depreciation? You think about roof damage, most companies are going to do actual cash value. If you have a large home, you could easily be looking at a total roof replacement of fifteen to $20,000. Yeah. If they're going to depreciate that roof and it's 15 years old, you're going to get pennies on the dollar. So like for us, we do replacement cost on everything. Nothing in our schedule on our policy is going to be actual cash value. So we're going to pay you true dollar to replace it with new items. Damage caused by a guest, it's one of the most important components that we need when we're doing a short-term rental. Now, guest-caused vandalism doesn't happen often, right? Um, it's every weekend somebody's throwing a party at an Airbnb, but a lot of times they're not causing significant damage. And a lot of the times you'll come into the property and it's like nothing happened. I'm not going to say they're responsible partiers, but they're taking care of your property while, while they're engaging in that. And then we have these other stories, the ones that we see, that are 50, 60, sometimes six figures worth of damage done to a home, yeah. completely vandalized and destroyed. And so you might have an endorsement for short-term rental, but like I said, it's not adding coverage. So you're not actually removing the exclusion for dishonesty mm -hmm. or property entrustment from the retail insurance market. And so what that means is you hand the keys over to somebody, you're in a contract of confidence with that guest, they have exclusive access to your home through the term of the short-term lease. If they vandalize or maliciously damage your home or steal from you, you don't have any coverage. Proper, we're, we're very meticulous in that when we designed the program back in 2014, knowing what everybody else is not covering and making sure we are covering that component. So we are the only company um, that we know to date with zero limitation um, you're only capped by your limits of insurance that you elect on the policy for malicious damage caused by a guest or something like that. Okay, so even if you get that exclusion in your policy that you can short-term rent with it, that still does not necessarily guarantee actual coverage. It's just permission to, to conduct your business. Yeah, um, they're... All of your contract language is the same, right? So we have anywhere from 50 to 100 pages of contract language in an insurance policy. And that contract is going to outline what is and what is not covered, right? And again, if you're looking at a homeowner's policy or a landlord policy, it's usually a dishonesty exclusion. If you're looking at a commercial coverage, which is something I will press on everybody, is really what you need to be looking at on a second home uh, that's a short-term rental. You should have a commercial-style policy. But... If you look in the commercial policy, what it's called is uh, property entrustment. And basically in the commercial policy, what it says is you, your partners, any owners, members of LLCs, employees, et cetera, et cetera, and anyone to whom you entrust the property for, for any purpose, there is no coverage for malicious mischief or theft through that entrustment. So... The dishonesty exclusion is very similar, but it defines them as rumors or borders. If the rumors or borders maliciously damage your home, there's no coverage. And if you've been in the long-term market for, for long enough, you've had a long-term rental guest cause damage to your home in a significant manner, yeah. like it's just statistics. Yeah. And if you've called your insurance company, you've probably realized that they don't actually cover that, right? They say, that sucks. You had a bad tenant. 
you have to fix it yourself. So that is one of the biggest exclusions in the retail marketplace. That's the biggest exclusion against everybody in, in the short-term rental market uh, for insurance and a coverage gap that proper has addressed um, exclusively through our product by removing that. So you also do coverage for long-term rental landlords, midterms as well, and STR? So, yeah, absolutely. So we, do, we don't have a landlord-specific product yet coming to market soon, hopefully, um, and we'll be able to address and provide um, a much higher level product for traditional long-term rentals is our hope. Uh, right now, if it's a mixed-use property, maybe you have a duplex or a triplex where one part is short-term rented and the other part's long-term rented, we are going to ensure that on our product because there's short-term rental exposure. Okay. The midterm rental or MTR market, we will ensure as well because we don't consider that to be a long-term rental. Okay. Where there is some flexibility in the retail market with midterm stays because a lot of them are going to define on the basis of 30 days or longer is not considered short-term or business. Right. But it's very gray right? So you're still actively listening. Maybe you're using Furnish Finder or Airbnb or Verbo for these longer term stays with traveling nurses and other professionals. Um, there's a lot of gray area there. And you also have an opportunity in certain markets who don't have 30 day you know, minimums perhaps on stays where in between those midterm rentals, you're going to take in the weekender, right? Um, so you're going to have that mixed exposure and you don't want to have that gray area in your policy. So proper can address that entirely for you uh, by not having any limitation on occupancy uh, at your property. What we're just not doing at the moment is traditional long-term rentals, but we should have a product for that very soon. Okay. Okay. Um, I would love to run through some things with you. I was like, would this be covered? Would this not be covered? How, how does this work? So if we can like rapid fire some of these situations. So my for, favorite exercise, I love it. Let's do it. Okay. So yeah. for one, I know you mentioned that there can be the party that causes like hundreds of thousands in damage that is covered if 100%. even though that that is a rare occurrence so what i would like to know is like what about you mentioned the party where maybe they came through there's not actually any damage but they did leave a mess maybe it costs your cleaner extra time to clean or you have to block off that night we know air cover doesn't always come through or if you did a direct booking or something what would be the situation there so that is a that is a gap in coverage across the board, including with us currently. Okay. Um, but we recognize that as a gap in our policy, which means we are taking steps to include it in our coverage. Now it does it's going to end up being additional costs if it's something that we can get done with the carrier, and it would be a personal election on your part as the host if you want to add that for excessive cleaning or not. Okay. Um, the biggest thing with insurance is that there has to be tangible damage for the insurance contract to, yes. uh, to respond. And so when we're dealing with excessive cleaning, more or less, that's kind of in the eyes of the beholder, right? Like Natalie, you might have a situation as, a, as an experienced host where you go, man, eh, it's just, you know, this happens. It's not too out of the norm. Yeah. My cleaner has an extra two hours here. It is what it is. We'll move on with life. And somebody like me, who, even though I've been doing this, I've been in the market for eight years, I'm actually just now starting to get into the market myself <laughs> with real estate investing. I might look at that and go, man, this extra two hours of cleaning, like this is a huge headache. This is a nightmare. Where's my insurance? Like, what's the deal? So Hopefully we'll have that soon, um, and that's something that we can get through with the carrier. Um, and we'd love to be able to take care of excessive cleaning, but at, right now it's just 
It's just part of doing business. It's it's very hard to define. I totally acknowledge that. And I same way that my first few reservations I ever hosted, someone like left a what I thought was a huge mess. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is just like so traumatizing. How could people do this? Now I see a mess like that once a month and you just br- learn to brush it off. So, yeah, it is yeah. true. You're, you're really trying to deal with like people's personal definitions at that point. Um, mm-hmm. Another question I have would be like, let's say I have friends or family members coming. And so they're, you know, maybe I don't even do direct bookings, but I'm like, okay, I'm not going to make them go through Airbnb for that. Just Venmo me or Zell me the amount and I'll block off these dates on my calendar. Mm-hmm. If you're not te- technically like a short-term rental guest that came, but you did make money for it, or or let's even say that your friends come into town and you decide to gift it to them for free and you don't charge them. Would that if they cause damage, would that be covered? It would be. Absolutely. Okay. With us, because we again, we don't define occupancy. Okay. So personal use, paid short term rental use, vacancy. I know the podcast is called No Vacancy, but <laughs> if we have vacancy, we don't have limitations around that. So Uncle Jimmy and Aunt Sally come and stay at the property and they throw back a couple too many cocktails and break something. And if it's above your deductible, you can file a claim for it with proper. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what about the case where let's say you had like a burglary or something, you technically have no bookings at that time, but someone breaks in. I mean, do you still cover everything that like a typical home insurance policy would? Absolutely. Okay. 100%. So, uh, you know, defined as the vagrant, right? They kick the door down, they steal your TV, they mess stuff up. That's covered. Now, that's something that's covered in the retail market. So, like going back to the endorsement question, okay, I have a short term rental endorsement. I now understand I don't have coverage for damage caused by a guest. But because you have that endorsement, the kicking down the door and stealing from you, if you have theft coverage on your policy and the short term rental enhancement, you would be covered for that as well in the retail space. But you've got to have that enhancement. What about if your cleaner, your handyman, or your co-host damages something while they're there checking up on the property? Would they have to have their own insurance? Your cleaner would have to be insured, or would you guys cover that? They should. Okay. I'm going to def- I'm going to default to do your best to use licensed and insured professionals okay. to conduct work at your property. Home labor is not something that's covered um, in most insurances. Um, It's definitely not covered on a commercial style product. And most importantly, the only cover, the only policy that's going to cover a work compensation injury is going to be a work comp policy. So unless you have an LLC and you have a handyman or a cleaning staff on as a W-2 employee and you have a separate work comp policy for them, if somebody's at your property and they're up on a ladder changing a light bulb and they fall off, there's really no coverage. Uh, So you should be using licensed and insured professionals. Now, in the event that you are negligent as a property owner, because something at your property is defective, let's say the railing on the deck was loose and they leaned up against it and fell off your deck, that's not, not necessarily a workplace product injury. That's could fall on you as negligence as the homeowner um, for not maintaining the property. And that could hit your liability coverage with us at that point. Okay. You just teed up my next set of questions perfectly. Cause I would love to know where in your coverage, 
is the line drawn for where the host is personally responsible. So like, you know, if you are renting out to people on a direct booking site and you have no rental agreement, does that jeopardize the host in any way for what's covered? Or like, are, are we responsible for kind of setting these terms or maybe having um, like a noise monitor to mitigate parties? Is there any requirement like that or the ring camera so you can see who's coming in and out? Um, I guess I just want to know kind of that's a huge question I just loaded on you. But like, where does yeah. the owner's responsibility come in and where do you guys step up? So, so part of working with proper insurance is, is we're not here just to insure your property. We're here to be in business with you as a partner for risk management, right? Because the more we can help and guide you from a risk management standpoint, the, hopefully the fewer claims the, the whole book of business has to file, right. which means we don't have to suffer through massive rate increases as a group. Because insurance is always a group share. Whether you're in New York or California, you're all sharing in the grander scheme of the entire book of business, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I never thought of it that way, but yeah, you're spot yeah. on. If the whole industry so, gets better, maybe all of our premiums can go down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Premiums don't usually go backwards, but it will prevent them from like they won't skyrocketing, go up as fast. right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we can compromise um, there. So one thing, one thing that we do that's vastly different than anybody else in this market is through the process of setting up insurance with us, you're going to answer, it's, it's roughly 50 questions. It's 27 questions, but 50 total with some sub questions, depending on amenities that you provide. And those are all to help guide you through managing your risk. So the insurance contract doesn't state a requirement for a rental agreement. Okay. It doesn't say if you don't have a rental agreement in place and signed at the time of booking or use of the property, there's no coverage. That doesn't exist in our policy. But to be a, a customer of Proppers, we want you to confirm that you're going above and beyond the general, the rest of the industry. You have a rental agreement in place. If you're offering bicycles, you're providing helmets. If you have a swimming pool, you're putting in depth markers and swim at your own wrist signs. You're um, you're investigating at, at every cleaning, making sure that your smoke detectors and carbon monoxide alarms haven't been tampered with by the previous guest. Um, you're, you're checking your canoes and kayaks to make sure they don't have cracks in them and they're safe for the next use, right? So we ask our consumers to do that. And if a person comes to us and refuses to provide life jackets for their kayaks, we're going to say you have two options. You can either remove the kayaks entirely from your property or we're not going to do business with you because we want to have customers who are taking the steps to mitigate risk because it's better for the industry as a whole. It's better for the loss ratio, the technical term with the insurance company. And that way we don't have to be subject to massive rate increases. The other item there, and this is where you have to think about it, that you're doing business with proper, where your partner here is reasonable means of defense. I think if anybody takes anything away from this podcast, whether you use proper insurance or you decide to use a retail market policy that has some coverage for you, take away the thought process of reasonable means of defense. And that has everything to do with liability. Give your insurance partner reasonable means to defend you if somebody is trying to sue you over the use of your property. I slipped and fell uh, on your stairs, but there was no handrail. There is no reasonable means of defense for the insurance company to try and protect you against there being proof of negligence. Install the handrail. 
hand and interior handrails are like 60 bucks at Lowe's. They're, they're not hard to do. I understand exterior handrails can cost a little bit more. You got to bolt them into concrete. There's an aesthetic side of it, but you're going to spend a thousand bucks and maybe save you a huge headache and thousands and thousands of dollars of attorney's fees at the end of the day by putting in a simple handrail to meet current codes. So if you're listening and you're writing stuff down and taking notes, Reasonable means of defense, star it, circle it. That's the most important thing you need to be thinking about when it comes to risk management at your properties. So reasonable is, again, another word that's kind of like loosely defined. There could be gray area, right? Some hosts might think, oh, it's pretty reasonable to put in a handrail or whatever, but something else might not. So where do you kind of... where can like people turn? Should they just call you guys up and say like, is this reasonable or what kind of like common sense do you suggest? (laughs) I mean, we've all heard that expression. Common sense isn't that common anymore. So where do people actually, um, cause you know, it's, it's, if somebody starts going down like the rabbit hole of like all the things, I feel like we would be at the point of like, uh, you know, putting like pads all over our walls so nobody bumps their head. Yeah. So just yeah. where do we like live life a little bit, but also make sure we're protected? You can't you can't bubble wrap your property. <laughs> that is we and and we totally understand that. Right. Because, again, we, we only do vacation rentals. So we totally we get it. We understand we can't bubble wrap anything and we're only as good as what we see in photos. Right. So we're not going to see everything or maybe guide you down a certain path of risk management for certain areas in your home, because you're not going to put 300 photos on Airbnb. Right. Right. Um, you're going to put, you know, I think, you know, most of the recommendation is somewhere around 20 cause that's about all we can bear clicking through these days as humans. Um, So you're going to put in the most important aspects to really draw the customer. So that's what our underwriting team is looking at. We're looking at your Airbnb. We're reading your description of your property, and we're seeing if there's things that need to be adjusted or mitigated um, within our underwriting guidelines for the policy. So if we see stairs without a handrail, we're going to ask you to put in a handrail. Give you an example of one that we didn't see and resulted in a very large liability claim that's ongoing right now. So I'll spare all the details because it still is an open thing. Um, but we basically had gone through this this exercise with a client. They had a pool. They had a lot of stairs on the outside. It was a multi-terrace property, so there's a lot of stairs around, and you know handrails here, handrails there, and they they're putting in we're putting in the work to do it. The one thing that we didn't see was that their property is sitting on a very large bluff um, overlooking a lake. And oh if we would have known that there was a, a gravel walkway that literally went to the end of this cliff, we would have expressed to put in one illumination across the path and then a sign at the end of it that you're, there's a cliff, like keep back. And unfortunately, at night, no. a younger a younger professional fell off this and no. was critically injured and spent months in the hospital. They're suing for millions of dollars. And if we we could have prevented that, um, if we would have known, but this is where you have to get in your mindset as a host, you're going to be judged by a jury of your peers if something happens. So to your question, what you and I might seem reasonable or common sense because we know the property, we're used to the property, we've been to the property multiple times, is not reasonable or common sense to somebody who has no idea about the property, right? So even though we can't bubble wrap our properties, you need to start thinking a little bit more about, okay, this thing right here is a potential tripping hazard and we should do something to illuminate it or notify about it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We have a client in, in Vermont 
Um, she's a, a mover and a shaker in that industry when it comes to regulations. Um, she and I have gone head to head in a couple of items that we've asked her to do. And she finally went, I'm going to bulletproof my house for insurance. And I got to visit her home last year, uh, in person. And like every single cabinet has a, a piece of sticky a label on it. What goes in here? What is it? She has commercial style style fire exit maps in her house that shows where the fire extinguishers are located and where to exit. And guess what? She's one of the top 10 grossing properties in the state of Vermont. So if you think that like putting this stuff in is kind of ugly, it's not. And the guest really doesn't care. In fact, you're going above and beyond. They're going to want to tell their friends and come back because they feel very comfortable at the property. They can see where everything is. They know what to do in the event of emergency if it comes to that. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and get a label maker and do that. but but you're... You even honestly, you just challenged a lot of the preconceptions I had because I've thought the same thing. Like, I don't want to over label. I don't want to be the obnoxious property that doesn't feel like a vacation and feels super sterilized. But now that I think about it, every single hotel, every room has a map of your fire exit plan on your floor. Anytime you go out into the hallway, you've got the illuminated exit signs and it doesn't take away from the experience at Ritz Carlton in any way. You're still staying at the Ritz. So um, yeah, honestly, you actually yeah. just may have changed my mind on that because I was a little <laughs> hesitant, but I feel like you are making a great point. You can go to Disneyland and they have all of the different things to protect their protect their butt if something happens and all of the exit plans and stuff. And people still go to Disneyland and have a great time. So, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a fine line with what short-term rentals are all about, right? Like what drew me to the industry and and I'm on the insurance side because that's the background I came from, right? But everyone dreams of being a huge, or should, right? At least I am of being a huge, you know, real estate investor and, you know, uh, you know, legacy wealth for my family and all of that. Like that's what I strive to get to, you know, hopefully 10, 15 years down the road. The, the, the sexy thing about the vacation rentals is we get to design and procure these properties and make them fun and exciting and and experiences for guests, but nobody cares about the experience if they're hurt. That's the big thing. If they're hurt, if their family or their children are in danger, right? Or there's a dangerous element when they show up to the property, that's going to hurt more than putting in a fire extinguisher by the kitchen in clear, plain view, yeah. right? Yeah, big, uh, the big commercial fire extinguishers are ugly. I'm not going to tell you they're not. They're ugly, but they're <laughs> necessary. Give your give your guests an opportunity to even save your property. They're cooking dinner, and it boils over on a gas flame, and next thing you know, you have a kitchen fire. If they're exiting the property and have an opportunity to grab the fire extinguisher and try to put it out, they're going to, right? Yeah. So. So just because it feels ugly doesn't necessarily mean it's going to hinder your bookings, right? It's and cuter it's not... than a place that's charred down to the studs. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You can you can put it into your own cost analysis, however you want to do it. What you know, the loss of revenue and the time from rebuilding an entire house versus rebuilding a kitchen is is vastly different, right? Yeah. So there's and... a lot of things you can do yourself to help manage risk. Um, in, in those eyes. And it's one thing I try to get around to a lot of folks when we do our consultation when they go, yeah, but the fire extinguisher is ugly. I'm going to put it underneath the sink. And it's like, okay, granted, we don't, I don't really care where you put it. We just ask that it's in the kitchen, but you really should have it on the wall from an exit of the kitchen. Cause if there's a fire in the kitchen, they're not going to sit there and rummage underneath the sink. It's hot. 
they're getting out of the house, put it on the wall as they're exiting the kitchen to the main, uh, to the main exit. So there's a lot of little things that you can do like that, um, that are going to change. But I think you made a great point too, that people, if they don't feel safe, they're not going to enjoy themselves. Um, I'm a mom now I've got two young kids, one and two and a half. And I imagine if I went to a space that had like a steep spiral staircase with, you know, no railing or something or a loft area that doesn't have the um, railing on it, I feel like I genuinely would not have fun. I would be constantly watching that they don't crawl up there, that they don't climb up. And you really are giving your guests a better experience by just even if they don't consciously think about it, it's like one of those things that just somewhere in the back of your head, it's like, I can relax here. I can feel at ease. Like you, you spot the little things you spot that the railing is close enough together. You spot the fire extinguisher. And I do think it gives you a sense of peace, even if your guest can't articulate it necessarily. So that's a good point too. You are giving a better experience by, by doing that. Absolutely. And so we, you know, back to the, you know, kind of reasonable and common sense stuff. We, we keep our underwriting, we try to keep it as reasonable and common sense as, as possible, right? So I'm not asking you to go and, again, bubble wrap your house. Uh, we we don't want you to do that, but we do want you to take measures, again, for reasonable means of defense. And at a point to start for everybody is, first thing, you're not grandfathered into safety. Attorneys don't care. If you don't have a handrail on your exterior stairs, you have four or more risers, you're going to get sued and you're going to lose. Okay. So the place to start is international residential code. Pretty much every single state has adopted um, IRC. And as IRC continues to advance through the years, uh, 2022 was the recent publish of it. And then states will adopt some of that as time goes on, primarily for new construction properties. But when we're doing short-term rentals and you go, oh, well, it was built in the 80s and there's 10 steps outside with no handrail. I don't need a handrail because I'm grandfathered into code. You're grandfathered into the code on the residential side, not a commercial side. If somebody walks up those and slips and falls and gets injured, Four more. The code is four more risers. You have to have a handrail, 28 inches, or maybe it's 30 inches, but let's just say 28 because a stair is seven inches and four times seven is 28. Um, 28 inches or higher of a, of a deck should have a guardrail around it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the most important thing for folks to go out and take a look at, um, at their properties to make sure they have those handrails from a safety standpoint. The other thing is smoke alarms. The easiest thing that we can do at our properties that's reasonable and common sense is to have a smoke alarm in every single bedroom and have a carbon monoxide alarm at minimum outside of every single sleeping area. We highly recommend that you have them in every sleeping zone. Carbon monoxide alarms are $30, $40. They're not terribly expensive. I get it as expensive if you have 100 properties. That's going to be a big bill to outfit with carbon monoxide. But we've dealt with two carbon monoxide poisoning claims in the last three years. So those are things that even though it wasn't code in the early 90s, even the early 2000s, to have smoke detectors and carbon monoxide alarms in every bedroom, the code is changing and we need to adapt our properties with those. Um, what would be the stance on candles and matches and wood burning fireplaces also? So we don't have a stance on it. Um, we're one of the few insurance companies that allows wood burning fireplaces at a property. Okay. But we do require that you have an annual inspection from a chimney suite. Okay. And that you have a fire extinguisher placed nearby. 
So those are our two requirements for having a fire uh, wood burning fireplace. If you want to have candles, have candles. But again, from a liability standpoint, somebody burns themselves in the candle or forgets to blow it out and it burns your house down. We're going to respond to the claim, but you can mitigate the risk by not having candles in the property. Right. Uh, so that's really up to you when it comes to, you know, working with proper um, if you want to have candles, but you know, you can eliminate the risk by having battery candles. Okay. And yeah. what about fire pits outside? Um, I know like I'm, my properties are all in the mountains in Big Bear and we have a rule, no charcoal barbecues, for example, but propane is okay. Are there any stipulations like that within your policy? Uh, same thing. We don't have any stipulations. We're proper. Our entire, our primary office is in Bozeman, Montana. So if you don't have a fire pit in the backyard, like what are you doing? <laughs> like that's what you do in the summertime, um, hang out by the fire and, and have a beer and roast marshmallows with kids. So we know those are an attractive feature yeah. to the, especially the family oriented vacation rentals. So have fire pits, go for it. Um, I don't know if you've had, maybe you've had Justin Ford on the podcast. I don't know with Breezeway Not from their safety yet, inspection. He's, he's on the um, list to get him on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Justin. So, um, you know, his recommendations from a, again, all risk management standpoint, this has nothing to do with whether or not we would cover it, just to, again, reasonable means of defense. Uh, have a bucket, label the bucket, water bucket, tell people where the water spigot is to fill up the water bucket for when they're having a fire. Um, he, he does talk of a case of where there was a very large fire pit at a property. Um, and unfortunately, the turnover team did not make sure that the fire was completely extinguished. And a small child thought that it was a sandbox and it was not a sandbox. Um, and it was still very hot underneath the ash of coal. So make sure they're completely out. Make sure you have that conversation with your turnover team. That's like, look, just go outside, fill up that five gallon bucket and dump it on top. I don't care if it's still smoking or not, just make sure it's out. Right. Um, and so it's, it's all little things that we don't always think about with that. Um, where, you know, that's where the big liability claim is going to come from. Things like that. What about things like my mind is just racing here. We're talking about liability and I'm like, okay, the famous McDonald's hot coffee lawsuit. Like what if your guest makes coffee too hot at your property? Like, do we have a responsibility to make sure we buy a coffee maker that can't go past a certain temperature? Like there's just, I feel like once you start going down this, it's so overwhelming. Like, yeah, the, the McDonald's example is the best example of bubble wrap, right? Like McDonald's had to reprint all of their coffee cup lids and cups to say caution hot. Right. Yeah. So there's only, there's <laughs> only so to, much like, you can on do. Our mugs, like, Hey, what you pour in this yeah. might be hot. Yeah. So I know like at my house, my coffee maker has variable temperature on it. Like I can put like hot or like extra hot. And when I do extra hot and put it in the Yeti mug, like <laughs> the thing is hot, yeah. right? Well, I know that, okay? But maybe as a guest, I, I don't know that. I've never used one of those. And yeah, my coffee is really hot. I mean, that's one of those crazy one-off scenarios where anybody can sue for anything. But if you have a good insurance <laughs> partner, they're going to defend you against it to say, look, common sense prevails. Coffee comes out of a machine hot. Why is the host negligent? Right. Right? And so... Um, there's only so much you can do. Again, you can't bubble wrap everything. Yeah. It's a big thing. You know, have have the teas, have the coffees, have the Keurig, have the regular, the bigger coffee pot for larger stays. You know, 
outfit your property with these amenities, there's only so much you can do, right? I, I literally met a host once who said she refused to provide steak knives, only butter knives, because she was so scared of the liability of somebody cut themselves. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like now we're just insane. undermining the entire point of like <laughs> yeah. why we got into this to host and provide yeah. a good experience. No steak knives. So. I'll tell you right now, if you want me to come stay at your property, you better have really good knives because <laughs> like at home, you know, I'm at the office and then and then my wife gets off before I do and she gets the kids and she gets dinner ready. But like when we're on trips or, you know, weekend getaways, like I do all the cooking. Yeah. And if I don't have good knives, like it's the most irritating thing ever. And I promise you that would be one of my first things. Like this was a beautiful property, but their knives are not sharp. My, my uh, dad, <laughs> literally, he's the same exact way. And he literally travels with his like Japanese knife that he like made a custom cover for it and yeah. travels with it because he's like the knives when you travel are so unreliable. I I bought it. I have like a, a, you know, shameless plug. Maybe they should, they should pay me after this. Uh, this company called Tumblr that makes this great ro- little rolling knife sharpener. Oh, cool. and I'm going to start bringing with me that with me on trips because it's like five minutes and I can sharpen your <laughs> knives for you. Um, but yeah, if you don't have good knives, like I don't want to stay at your place. I'm not going to go out to eat every night. I want to cook in her nice kitchen. So we are allowed to have (laughs) knives in our property. That's absolutely. (laughs) It gives a stamp of approval. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But have sharp ones because dull knives lead to more liability claims than sharp knives. That is true. Yeah. Um, All right. I have a controversial one for you. I have very strong thoughts on this. My listeners know. How do we feel about do we if we have a pool in a hot tub, do we have to have cameras on them? Please say no, because I hate it. No. Get them. Get a, Get rid of. No. No cameras on pools or hot tubs. Yay, dogs. Nick! You Don't just became it. my favorite person. Don't I have fought with people so hard on this, and they're like, "My insurance Don't. requires it." Nick. No, they don't. I love no, you. I don't. love you. I love you. Thank that you. Is, <laughs> that is the biggest myth out there yes. that insurance companies require cameras in private areas. That is. Yay. I'm sorry if I'm offending you right now, but that is disgusting and kind of creepy. So have the front door camera, have the ring camera so that you can see who's coming and going, right? Like that's totally, absolutely. You have, you allow eight people at your property and you saw 27 people show up. That's a problem. You need to deal with it. That's that camera. That's that front door camera, the primary entrance. But here's the situation. You argue that a camera at your swimming pool is for slip and fall liability so that you can show the judge and the jury that they were drinking and you're not negligent and their slip and fall was induced because they had 15 drinks that day and you have it on camera. It's fine. You might win that case and and you might be okay and the judge throws it out. But when they then countersue you for invasion of privacy, nobody is covering you and it is going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees and hundreds, if not millions of dollars in damages awarded to that person for invasion of privacy. Get rid of your cameras other than the front door camera. They're not necessary. I am literally so happy. You have no idea. I have had this argument with people so many times. It just feels so creepy to me. And people are like, I need it. Hotels have it. But it's different at hotels. You don't have that same expectation of privacy. You know, you're sharing a pool and a hot tub with other people. Here's, Here's the thing. They're all shared areas, so suing for invasion of privacy is going to get thrown out right away from a judge anyway if you tried to sue Hilton. Second to that, these are billion-dollar entities, right? So if you did get some traction behind an invasion of privacy lawsuit around cameras in the spa, they're just going to write you a check because they can, and they'll make it go away. 
But when you own one or two vacation rentals, you can't cut those checks. It's not worth the risk at all. And on that, the only way you can actually get invasion of privacy coverage is through commercial policy. So back to those retail homeowners landlord policies, even with an endorsement, you're not going to get invasion of privacy coverage. You do through proper insurance. Now, proper insurance, we exclude surveillance of private areas. So we're not going to cover you for invasion of privacy for the pool or hot tub camera or the, the, uh, we see people who have the ring doorbell in the front and the ring doorbell on the back screen door. Yep. Back screen door one, just get rid of it because you're not going to be covered for invasion of privacy. But here's an example, right? So invasion of privacy lawsuit, this is the real thing. It's on our blog post. If you type up surveillance on our website to read the blog, what ended up happening was gentleman had a ring doorbell camera on the front door, no other cameras. He saw that the guests continually went out on the front porch and was smoking cigarettes. And there are no smoking property, 100%. They, they outline it numerous times in their, in their uh, description and rental agreement that you can't smoke on the property. Vacate the property if you want to have a smoke. He ended up calling the guests and saying, hey, it's a no smoking property. I see you on my front porch smoking cigarettes. That guest turned around and sued them for invasion of privacy. We do cover that because it was the front door camera. Okay. So we are responding to that that claim because it doesn't fall under the private area surveillance exclusion. Most insurance companies either flat out exclude invasion of privacy, so it doesn't matter. They don't care. You could have a camera in the bathroom. They don't care because they're not going to cover you if you get sued. Um, other companies have invasion of privacy coverage, but not coverage for surveillance equipment in any area. We've modified that to say, look, we'll cover you if you have the front door camera in that particular situation that I just talked about happen, but we're not going to cover you if you get my teenage daughter sunbathing in the backyard by the swimming pool. Ugh, creeps yeah. out there. Um, okay, good to know. Thank you for settling that for us. Um, my other question for you is co-hosts and if you're doing arbitrage, do you would proper apply or do you just need to get like business insurance in that case for, for conducting business at the property? So it's variable. So I'll start with arbitrage. Uh, when it comes to arbitrage, you need to have your own insurance policy. Okay. And you need to, you, you should have a commercial policy. You can't just go to like state farm and get, a month renter's insurance because that's renter's insurance for you as the resident. So again, you might as well just flush those premiums down the drain because they're not going to cover you for anything. It might satisfy the building you're renting from uh, because they just see you have liability insurance and they give you the keys, but it's not going to cover you for anything. So what Proper does for arbitrage is we basically sell a commercial renter's insurance policy. It starts at about $80 a month. It's really inexpensive in the grand scheme of things. And we're going to cover your personal property or personal business property that you put into the address. We're going to cover your lost business income in the event of a covered claim, as well as a million dollars in liability. And then we will name your landlord as an additional insured on the policy. So if that person slips and falls in the bathtub and sues you, the arbitrage uh, operator, and the property owner that you're leasing from, you're both covered on our policy. Okay. Okay. So if you're doing rental arbitrage, that's kind of step number one. Uh, I will say some arbitrage clients get to a certain point where they're pretty big and they're in multiple states and they get what's called a, you know, more or less a master policy or portfolio coverage, um, which is going to be not terribly less expensive than us, but you know maybe 25% less in the grand scheme of things. So let's say you're 100 units arbitrage. Um, 
you can get like one of those big policies, but you're going to have the limitations for damage caused by a guest via property entrustment and some of these exclusions around liability that are out there that we don't have. But at least you have a commercial product and that's where you need to be. Okay. Uh, from a co-host perspective, depending on your state rules, right? So a lot of people go to the co-host model to avoid traditional property management model, which may or may not require a real estate license, depending on what state you're in. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing against that, right? Uh, so as a co-host, at the very minimum, you need to be listed as additional insured on okay. the property owner's policy. Now, with proper insurance in particular, our policy defines under liability who is an insured, anybody acting as a real estate manager. Okay, so as a co-host, you don't necessarily need to go out and buy the insurance for the property owner, but they need to go out and get good insurance and they need to make sure that you need to make sure that you're additionally insured. Okay. okay? Now, if they have proper insurance and you know they have proper insurance, then you know that you're automatically covered as an acting real estate manager for them. It doesn't hurt for us to just list Natalie as additional insured and we'll put reason co-host. It is what it is. It costs nothing. It extends coverage. Um, it It's perfectly fine. But the only time as a co-host, co-host, you would need to go get additional insurance is if you have to register as a business in the state, then you need okay. to go get business insurance, which is errors and omissions and general liability and commercial auto and work comp and, you know, all of those fun things. And, you know, if you expand from co-hosting and traditional management, uh, we do have a sister company that can provide that type of coverage for you. Okay. Is that Wavo or Wister? Wister. Wister. Okay. Wister. I know you yep. guys have the two sister companies. So, Okay. So Wister yep. can help with that. Um, okay. My other question for you would be like, what can you guys help with or what do you advise with unique stays? Uh, trailers, glamp sites, tree houses, all of that. Does that fall under home insurance or is that kind of its own commercial use thing? Yeah, it's going to be tough to find insurance for unique stays. Um from a treehouse standpoint, we have a number of them on our book of business, uh, but we still require that you follow the residential building code that I was talking about earlier. So you got to have the handrails, you got to have guardrails, you know, you need to have smoke alarms and carbon monoxide and all of that stuff, right? You have all the safety features that we ask to put into a regular house, we want you to put into your treehouse as well. Um, the other thing with treehouses is that they can't be exclusively um held up by a tree. There needs to be a structural component okay. um, that's engineered, right? So we want to see footings and posts down to the ground. Uh, the tree is the component of the treehouse, but it's not what's holding the entire structure up, okay. right? So that's something we're going to look at uh, via your photos. When it comes to glamping sites, it can be it's real touch and go. It all comes down. We have to see what you have going on. The one thing that we see the most is a lot of shared, like shared kitchen areas at, at glamping facilities. Mm. And it doesn't really, it doesn't fit my product. Okay. Um, there is commercial products out there for more or less campsites and uh, unique resort stays and stuff like that. Uh, that might be a better fit for you in that case. But we could take a look at it and see if we have an opportunity to insure it for you. Um, again, it all just depends on your particular setup. We do have a really cool property down in Texas. It's all these like geodome uh, things, cool. but everybody has their own private bathroom and they have their own like little, uh, you know, like camp chef setup to do oh. their own cooking if they want. Right. Okay. So there's no there's no shared facility area. Um 
with that. And so we're like, that one's cool. That works. No shared spaces when it comes to trailers. So you're hosting this out of your Airstream. Uh, If the Airstream is just sitting in your driveway, I'm not going to touch it. Uh, But if it's constructed, and what I mean by that is we have to show the underwriter a reasonable, uh, with, with reasonable doubt that this thing is not movable today. Like there has Mm. to be a deconstruction component around hooking up to the Airstream or other RV and and moving it. So we do get a lot of folks who, you know, will do a summer lease at a marina and just park their fifth wheel camper there and then put it on Airbnb. And that's not something we're going to insure. But then we have we have these other ones where folks have, you know, actually bought property and they back the Airstream up. And they build a nice little roof over the top. One of my clients has three or four of them, and they put concrete in concrete. They put metal posts in front of the hitch, so like you can't move this thing unless you remove those con- dig out the concrete oh, posts. Okay. And then they also built a deck on the door side. So okay. there's a lot of things that have to happen in order for that to become mobile again, right? Okay. Uh, tiny homes are still pretty popular. Uh, you know, Tumbleweed manufactures beautiful tiny homes that you can order for 80 to $120,000, but they don't have guardrails if they have lofts and they don't have handrails on the stairs. So you, you're going to have to do some outfitting to it. Okay. And then because it's on wheels, again, you have to render it in mobile. So, you know, build a deck around it or get it off the trailer or whatever. Um, and then we'll be able to ensure that for you. Okay. Um, okay. Good to know. My plans for this airstream I'm recording out of. Once I find the land, we want to like park it, build out a deck, throw a hot tub on there. So I will be giving you guys a call to <laughs> ensure yeah. ensure this thing at that point. Some um, folks dig a hole and back it up into the hole, and um, that way the door is like level, pretty much level with the ground, and then a one step up deck platform that it's on um because then everything the hitch and everything are buried and you're simply not i can't just drive up there myself and hook my truck up and steal it from you interesting okay good things to think about okay this is the last thing i want to get into and i know that this is a really touchy one but it is a big story in the news let's talk about the listing that had the fentanyl overdose in it um do you want to, if you know the details of the story, do you want to fill people in on what happened in case they are not familiar with this story, which is so tragic? Yeah, it's, I mean, I would say it's the saddest news um, that we've encountered. I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this on the insurance side since 2016. Um, you know, we've dealt with deaths of toddlers before, um, but this one is by far the most tragic. So if you haven't seen the news, it's making waves. Um, effectively a family from out of country staying in Florida, uh, put their 19 month old daughter down for a nap when they went to go wake her up a couple hours later, she's blue in the face, foaming at the mouth, uh, called 911 or dispatched. It was deemed to be an overdose. Uh, toxicology came back with a lethal amount of fentanyl in the baby's system. Uh, the family was extensively investigated, um, to potentially be at fault and they weren't. Uh, you know, they weren't, they weren't drug addicts. They weren't partiers. They were there with their family, the four kids. Um, the neighbor to the property had reported that the previous guest had a rather large party at the property. Um, the crime scene investigators found traces of cocaine throughout the property. They didn't find any traces of actual fentanyl, but they, they deemed that it was, it 
could have been remnants from the party before. Uh, that family is now suing Airbnb. They're suing the host of the property. They're also suing the property manager, and they're suing the previous guest um, who had hosted the party. And I mean, they're going for everybody. Yeah. And in my opinion, I have a, a year and a half year old daughter. Yep, I would do the same thing. Me too. Um, so. What do we do? How do we how do we protect ourselves against that? I mean, this is just the craziest unforeseen scenario that anybody can think of. There's only so much we can do with cleaning. There's only so much we can do right. with, you know, preventing parties from our our property. You had mentioned the noise monitoring systems. We highly recommend those. In fact, we give you a discount if you have them, uh, because we want you to prevent this stuff from from happening. Um, one of the one of the biggest things is. A lot of insurance out there has explicit exclusions around Class A narcotics, and and the fentanyl, the fentanyl situation hits really close to home with us here at Proper Insurance. It, in fact, one of our co-founders has started a nonprofit. Uh, shameless plug, sorry, Natalie, for him, but um, a nonprofit called FoundGuilty.org that's really trying to bring more and more awareness uh, to this situation in the U.S. And um, so we all would, know about it I here in the office. I would actually love to check them out. Foundguilty.org. I have Found, a, foundguilty.org. I yeah. have a friend from college who died of a fentanyl, thought it was a line of Coke and it was laced. Yeah. So, yeah. And so the thing is, is like one thing I can say with proper is, is we don't have a scheduled narcotics exclusion and liability. And so as tragic as this is, from a homeowner perspective, we would be responding to this claim if it was our insured. Mm -hmm. And we have a limit of insurance of a million dollars. You can increase that limit to two million as an option. But I'll tell you, in this situation, that's not enough coverage. Yeah. It's it's something, right? But I mean, yeah, we'll we can defend and and we can pay policy limit because it's it's a would be considered a covered cause of loss. I, but what do you do, right? It, it's one of those unfound situations that there's not enough money in the world that can reverse this situation um, or, or protect you as a property owner. So what do we do? I mean, you can, you can get heavier with your cleaning company. They can only do so much, yeah. right? Um, it, it's tragic. The biggest thing is, is do what we can to prevent parties at our property. Be proactive as a host. Invest in noise monitoring, noise aware, minute, companies like Wind, uh, Party Squasher. There's so many of them out there. Um, they're all relatively priced the same. It's well worth the investment uh, at your properties to get these services. Um, do, you know, f do the safety inspections. Have your cleaning company, um, you know, use, you know, approved cleaners and chemicals. Get with a, a system like uh, VRHP or properly, not to be confused with proper, but another company properly, yeah. uh, when it comes to, you know, what you can use to clean and try and, you know, eliminate this stuff from happening. Yeah. Do you know the details of how that 19 year old, what happened? She woke up from the nap and like crawled around and found a pill or nine, 19 months old. Yeah. 19 months. Sorry. Did I say yeah, it was 19 months? Yeah. 19 yeah. months. They, they don't know. They don't know. They, they initially, the initial article I read in the post was um, they thought maybe the parents were, you know, occasional drug users and the child somehow got into it or they had 
remnants on their hands or something when they put a bottle together. Um, it only takes a like a grain of sand sized piece of fentanyl to kill somebody. So they don't know. It it, it could have been in the sheets. Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm not trying to put accusations, yeah, but just yeah. may, maybe they they didn't, you know, clean the pillow. The, they didn't wash the, the pillow cover. Um, they didn't clean the duvet that they've laid the child down on and it fell out of somebody's pot. I, who knows? Yeah. Right. There's there's not a whole lot you can do in that situation to know 100 percent. The only thing you can do is to get real serious about party prevention at your property. Yeah, that's so tragic. Um, yeah, you just really... I guess at that point, like we talked about, what was it? The reasonable, remind me the phrase we're supposed to Re- take away. Reasonable means of defense. Reasonable means of defense. So in that case, if you as the host can show that you have the noise monitors, that as soon as parties are starting, you are squashing them and kicking those out. You've got the ring camera on the front and that you're thoroughly cleaning and washing everything reasonably between each stay like is that basically what we have to fall back on as our as our defense and yeah and a good really, insurance policy that'll help cover those legal and a good absolutely and a really good bulletproof insurance policy i mean again it comes down to one of the reasons the biggest the biggest thing everyone who's listening like i promise you you're not going to disagree with our coverage right our coverage is is Again, it's bulletproof. We have we know what everybody else offers out there, and we know what they don't cover, and what they don't cover, we do. I mean, things as trivial as bed bugs. I mean, we cover that. Uh, squatters, equipment breakdown, um, liquor liability, animal and pet liability, the amenities on premises, off premises, lakefront. Like we cover all of this, but because it's such a, you're transferring more risk onto the carrier. That's the other thing about insurance, just basic ABCs of insurance. It's all about risk transfer. The more risk you transfer onto the paper that you're buying for an insurance contract, the more you're going to pay in premium. So we've built our policy to be the top tier, most comprehensive out there. You're going to pay, if you're paying $1,500 a year for home insurance now, you're probably going to pay three to $4,000 with us. It's just the reality of it. But that extra few thousand dollars a year is going to give you not only a, a great strategic partner to help you in risk management through very comprehensive underwriting of your home, we're also going to provide you with this extremely comprehensive insurance policy. So if something does happen, you're, you're calling us and you're dealing with us and our claims team. We handle all of our claims in-house uh, and, and you know you're going to be taken care of, right? And that extra couple of thousand dollars a year if that is hindering your cash flow so severely that you feel like you can't do business, then that asset shouldn't be a vacation rental. Mm-hmm. I'm wow. just going to be honest with everybody. My like trouble. again, whether you're yeah whether you're doing this as a hobby to break even, to supplement your income, to pay the mortgage because you're renting out the in-law apartment in the basement, paying for the extra insurance is is a drop in the bucket in consideration to something not being protected. Right. So if you're the homeowner who's trying to supplement income so that you can pay your mortgage, you an extra two thousand dollars a year, which is not much in a monthly perspective when it all breaks down, is a couple of nights of booking is all it really is to cover that. And all you're trying to do right now is break even. And so as long as you continue to break even or even just a little bit less than even, you're still going to be better off with a comprehensive insurance policy than a policy that doesn't really cover you. For those who are trying to make money and build the generational wealth, okay, 
you're not making $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 a year net on that property now. You're making $48,000 a year net. Yeah. Is that really that big of a difference to yeah. where you don't you want to <laughs> sacrifice coverage to save a few thousand bucks a year and and roll the dice, right? right. Um, and and hope nothing happens. I mean, these are the things that we really need to consider in our risk management. And and that's what we're here for. That's why we're in business. It's why we're endorsed by uh, Verbo. We provide the best policy out there. We are here to protect hosts. Um, the other side of that is, is, you know, you're doing business with a company who's actually ingrained in the communities. We're doing a lot of work in nestling down in deep with local municipalities from a permitting standpoint. A lot of these regulators are uh, building insurance regulations. And to be honest, unbeknownst to them, are more or less banning vacation rentals through insurance requirements. So we've gotten into areas, um, St. Louis County, Minnesota, Dana Point, California are the most recent ones. Uh, more coming down the pipeline with some partnerships that we have uh, with other advocacy groups uh, all across the nation to make very easy to follow and sound insurance requirements because it's good for the industry. It's good for the community. It's good for the host. It's good for the guest, right? Um, so, you know, you're, you're doing business with somebody who's heavily involved in this market. Yeah. The retail carriers are not advertising at the Super Bowl for you to ensure your vacation rental with them because they don't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those insurance companies, I always wonder when I see those Super Bowl ads, is that where all of my premium went to just covering the <laughs> ad? Or are you actually paying out claims if I call it, with an issue? So. Yeah, yeah. Aaron so Rodgers isn't flying in with a superhero cape to help you at your vacation <laughs> rental. I'm sorry. Nick, my very, very last question. I know I said the last thing would be the last. But as we talked about that horrible situation in Florida um, and you were talking about the drugs, it reminded me, what is the stance on alcohol, providing a bottle of wine because it's your guest anniversary or something like that, or having a, a mini bar set up, maybe even telling yeah. guests to pay for it, but having it on site? What's the stance on that? Uh, avoid. Avoid. Again, mitig- um, okay. well, don't avoid, but mitigate your risk, right? Um, don't provide a fully stocked bar at your vacation rental. Okay. Right. It's also your house. If you're using that property, you got to have a Sioux property. You're going to go visit it. Right. And so lock your booze up, right. Get a safe, put it in there. And when you show up, take it out and have fun. It's your property. But when guests are there, get rid of it. They can go to the store. They can buy their own booze, do their own thing. Uh, hosted or, or I shouldn't say hosted liquor, but because that's a different definition in the insurance world, but like gifted liquor, uh, whether it be a bottle of wine or a six pack of beer from a local brewery, like we're cool with it. We do not have a, an exclusion for liquor liability, which is a very common exclusion in insurance, by the way. So if you're in an area with, with wineries and you do the gifted bottle of wine, we're going to provide you uh, liability coverage. The biggest thing is left behind booze. Mm-hmm. So we had a situation a number of years ago, I believe it was in Scottsdale, where a 16-year-old found a left behind bottle of alcohol in the freezer, drank it, had to get the stomach pumped. Owner ended up getting sued and uh, we covered it because we don't have a, an exclusion around that. So make sure your cleaning company is either pouring it down the drain they're, you know, opening up the cabinets, they're opening up the fridge and the freezer and cleaning that stuff out. Or taking uh, it with them, as I know yeah, the cleaner take loves it with to do. You. <laughs> yeah, take it, take it with you. We don't want it at the property. Okay. I mean, it's like the same thing we get a lot with people with swimming pools. They're like, why can't I have pool toys? And so, inflatable pool toys and the foam noodles Wait, and things like that. We can't have pool toys? 
make let people buy it themselves because if you have i mean they're a lot of fun don't get me wrong i've hung out on them but i know how to swim so have a couple of drinks on a big inflatable flamingo at a vacation rental we're having a good time (laughs) but if they don't know how to swim you don't have a reasonable means of defense if they get drunk and drown in your swimming pool because you provided them with a false sense of security that they could float around on this flamingo that happened to have a pinhole leak in it and they don't know how to swim so get rid of them if people want to bring their own pool toys, there's a convenience store just down the road from you. In a lot of cases, they can go pick them up and then throw them away. Just wow. remove unnecessary risk from your property. Okay. I understand it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It looks cool, but but I have this one <laughs> caveat to that. Right now, it's really popular to say like you know prepay us to stock the fridge for you and buy your groceries before you check uh-huh. in or set up a party for you. In those yep. cases, if somebody if a bachelorette party is saying, "Can we pay to have five inflatable flamingos and a fully stocked fridge of rosé?" If they're like going out of their way to pay for it as an extra service, would that change your answer because it's not like provided with the home, it's an extra th- thing or would you still say if i if that was something you were doing aside from like the stocking the fridge type thing um but like uh, additional amenities to bring to the property i would use i would be trying to partner with a third-party concierge because they have their own insurance Okay. okay right because then if something happens there's a there's a fallback to where they're trying to say you're negligent. We go, no, 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 no. I connected you with the third-party concierge service, and they're the ones that bought the defective pool device. Mm. Like, that's over here, right? Okay. And then the butt, the butt gets passed a little bit. So, again, when you're doing that, it sounds good for your standpoint because you're like, more money, more money, more money. More money means more liability. You're basically running a different business at that point. You're now also running a concierge business, right. and you need to have yeah. insurance for that. So partner with somebody locally who might do that, who is a party planner, is whatever. Maybe they charge a couple hundred bucks. It is what it is. But you're also supporting another small business locally in the community. So um, it's not only are you defending yourself from a liability standpoint by passing that off to an unaffiliated third party, you're also supporting another small business in the community. And if you want to make money off that, you can still weave in like a referral or a kickback, I'm sure, for sending them business. Yeah, Yeah, I don't want to get too nitpicky around that type of stuff, but it's like, just why like there's a certain question around like you're just like why are you going to rent your jet ski to these folks yeah like they can go down the marina and rent a boat and that 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 rental company has their own insurance for that so if somebody gets in an accident it's not now on you right and you don't need to have commercial now you don't have to go through the rigmarole of commercial watercraft insurance and all of that and you know you're just okay we're going to support the marina down the road maybe you have a partnership with them where they give your guests 15 percent off yeah because I, you you bring them more business. Yeah, we do that actually. We're in a ski resort town, and we um, have a deal with a local rental shop. All ski and snowboard equipment. We get our guests fifteen percent off. But I just send yeah. them that way, and I don't. I'm not renting you my equipment or anything like that. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. I think we covered everything and more. Nick, this was so good and so thorough. Um, Justin has to come on the podcast next to go through those that safety checklist. And then I think these two episodes together are going to just be like so juicy for people to know that they are covered and protected. Um, yeah. Any parting words? I think we covered it all. But what's what's the big takeaway you want us to have? What are we circling and highlighting again <laughs> one more time? <laughs> again, I mean, other than other than calling us 
go to our website, request a quote, give us a call on the phone. I got 22 licensed agents who are ready to talk and help you. They're all local experts in that market. We're all based here out of Montana, yes, but they they service your community, your area. They're the experts for this. Get a consultation. It's free. It's just 30 minutes of your time. Let us walk through your current coverage. Let us show you where the gaps are. Let us give you a quote on updated and more comprehensive insurance so that you can make the risk management decision that's best for you. Number two, again, circle it again, start again, highlight it, whatever you have to do, reasonable means of fence, okay? If you are doing everything in your power to provide your insurance partner reasonable means of defense, things are going to go a lot smoother if you know what hits the fan, okay? But number three, the fallback, the end of it is have have rock star bulletproof insurance and take the time, slow down a little bit. Don't get caught up on cost. Think more about coverage. It says building limit is X dollars. It says contents is this much and income is this much, but what is actually covered underneath those lines? Have that in-depth conversation to understand what is and what is not actually covered in that limit. Cause then you can take the necessary steps to protect yourself for things that might not be covered. What I love is I feel like a lot of people think insurance is going to be like the party pooper or like the nagging mom that comes in and just tells you to stop having fun. And that is not the vibe I get from you guys at all. Like keep like do the candles if you want. Like, you know, you can still have a pool and and provide a bottle of gifted wine, but just do it within reason and make sure that you know what you're covered with. So um, I love you guys. I love the whole proper team. Thank you, Nick, for coming on. And until next time, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks, Natalie. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, we have a host who, I guess that their guest left something behind, asked for it to be shipped. I'm sure we've all been there. I've done this plenty of times. And this host wanted to charge the guest for the cost of shipping and their time to ship it out. Totally reasonable. And this is, I guess, what transpired. So apparently the guest was super upset and didn't want to have to pay the amount. So here is a screenshot that this host provided. They said in a Facebook group, I guess left two items that cost over $15 to send via UPS. I asked for the cheapest rate. Then on top of that, the guest took one of our dishes. The guest complained when I asked for $20. This seems very reasonable charge to me, especially for the inconvenience of standing in line at a UPS store and also waiting to procure a new dish that was taken. Also, gas for driving to the UPS store with the dish that they took plus the shipping cost that I paid, I thought $20 was reasonable. And then they posted a screenshot of their response to the guest. They didn't attach what the guest wrote to them, but it sounds like the guest was upset at the $20 charge, and so the host pasted their response that they sent to the guest and said... My closest place is a UPS. I walked in there with my two boys. There was a line with my two kids waiting, and I asked for the cheapest way to ship this out to you. That's the option UPS gave me. You took one of our Tupperware and you offered to pay. Just know that these two things required money and time spent on those tasks. One to drive with my two kids. My wife was not home to watch them. And the other one is ordering and waiting for a new kitchen appliance. $20 in my mind was reasonable, but no worries. I would like to give you that as a gift. No need to repay. Have a blessed day. Uh, You guys, like, I, oh, this one hurts because this host is obviously so nice and 
providing this whole explanation and everything and in the end just foregoing the 20 and giving it as a gift like it pains me to do it but we have to this host is the airbnb hole this is just this is just not how you run a business and we've talked about this before um, I know one example I've given multiple times is when people ask you, let's say, to waive the cleaning fee, you do not start explaining why. The moment you do that, you start opening yourself up to all these different back and forths and, and negotiations. So I know I've said this before on this podcast, but if somebody asks me for a discount on the cleaning fee or to waive the cleaning fee, I just say, hello, our cleaning fee is non-negotiable. Basically, that's it. It's a take it or leave it mentality. And it seems harsh, but it really helps you because if you say, oh, I'm sorry, our cleaning fee is needed because it's to prep the home for you and we have a very standard cleaning procedure, then they're going to say, oh, it's okay. Um, I'm actually a cleaner, so you don't you don't need to clean the home for me. I'll leave it really clean. And now you're like, shoot, okay, now I have to come up with another excuse to explain it because you you kind of called me on that. And so you, you cannot give too much of an explanation to where people start arguing with you. And that is what this host did. And I know that they were trying to be so sweet about it and explain that they were waiting in line and they had to take the kids because their wife wasn't home to watch them. And it took them some time to order the kitchen appliance. You don't need this explanation. The guest left something and asked for it shipped back. You say... Hi, no problem. We're happy to ship it back. We charge $20 shipping and handling. Let me know if that's okay. And if they argue with that, you say, okay, we don't ship it. And that's it. And I know it sounds harsh, but we cannot be like, you're you're running a business. Did we not just listen to this entire episode with Nick? You're running a business. The moment you let that first guest in your door, it's a business. This isn't just a hobby. This isn't just a side hustle. So... We, it is totally, totally reasonable to charge for shipping and handling. Every single business charges shipping and handling. This is not something you are making up. You are totally in your rights to ask for this. In the future, ask for it ahead of time. Make it very clear that you charge for this and you leave it in their hands. Honestly, if I were the guest, I would have foregone it. It seems like you were shipping back Tupperware to them that they forgot. I would never pay $20 to have Tupperware shipped back to me. I would just go buy new Tupperware. And so it's up to them to decide if it's worth it. If it was like a pair of AirPods they left behind, yeah, I'll pay the 20 bucks shipping and handling. So it is not your job to send these things for free. Um, this host, even though I know they were trying to be such a sweet person... You are the Airbnb hole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you are. And, uh, you know, if, if you're just springing this fee on your guests without telling them what to expect, they have a right to question it. But I think it's up to you to say, no problem, we'll ship back to you. This is our shipping and handling cost. And take it from there. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.